So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of, of worship and singing and uh, rejoicing in your goodness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray now you take the Scripture, the Word of God, and make application to our lives by the Holy Spirit. Uh, come, we pray, and uh, teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Ephesians chapter 6 discussing uh, spiritual warfare. Our focal passage uh, is Ephesians 6, 10 and following. We'll be here for several weeks. Verse 10 says this, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness or evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. John Calvin said this regarding this issue. He said, we fight an enemy relentlessly threatening us, an enemy who is the very embodiment of rash boldness, of military prowess, of crafty wiles, of untiring zeal. Therefore, we should bend our every effort to this goal that we should not let ourselves be overwhelmed by evil. So some of the key words are relentlessly, untiringly. Therefore, we should bend our every effort. It's ongoing. Um, I showed you this diagram last week that when, when we do... When we fight every day, we, we fight the world, the flesh, and the devil, the world representing the parts of this worldly system that are under the seeming control of the adversary, the, the flesh, the resain, re, remaining sin in our lives, the lives of all believers. All Christians will struggle with sin till the day we die. Therefore, we've got to be watchful. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 9, the good things I want to do, I do not always do. And that's true for all of us that we fight every day the world, the flesh, and the forces of evil. And so where one begins and the other leaves off, we don't know. But we fight those issues every day. And, and therefore, we have to be alert. The Bible says this. Our Lord says uh, regarding the devil, he says he is a liar and the father of lies. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. John 10, Jesus says that the evil forces, the devil came to steal, kill, and to destroy, but he's come to give us life and life abundantly. Revelation 12 says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He belittles us. He browbeats us. He makes us question if we're really in the Lord, so forth and so on. He, he is the accuser of the brethren. One writer says that the evil forces represent an incessant hunger that can never be satisfied while the living God represents a glorious goodness that can never be exhausted. I like that. So, so we, we, we battle that. The point number two is preliminary is I said last week that C.S. Lewis has had this quote that everybody always quotes about uh, 
we can either be a materialist or a magician, and the devil is equally pleased with both extremes. Uh, a materialist is someone who says, well, there's really no spiritual warfare that's antiquated, that is first century, that is something of a Greco-Roman animistic, pantheistic mindset. It's not part of who we are today. And if you live that way, Lewis says the devil's happy because you discount him. Or you're a magician and you see a devil behind every bush and you don't give Christ the glory and the honor and the power that is due him. So when it comes to being a materialist, it's, it's what I call the, the, the Zorro effect. Let me explain. These dudes, uh, I, I like these guys. One is Zorro, and you know the story Zorro is a... Uh, supposedly a, a, a squeamish guy who's wealthy, who doesn't like any conflict, and is kind of um, a cowardly person, but at night, he is the defender of justice, truth, and all that is right. And then the middle is, represents the best Batman ever, okay? Best Batman ever. Batman, of course, is the relationally challenged, morose, depressed child um, lives in Gotham City, and at, during the day, he just doesn't connect with people, but at night, he becomes the best superpower guy ever. And then the other is a new guy, Arrow. You haven't seen Arrow? It's really pretty good. He is a wealthy child that was left on an island, comes back in five years, and he is a pursuer of, of right. But, but th this is who they really are, Zorro, Batman, and Arrow. Now, the Zorro effect is this. The devil loves it if you see him as an inconsequential, diffident, uncaring person because then he gets you. So be, be very careful of the Zorro effect. Number three, we, the Bible says here in verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I said last week, I'm going to say it again, that we begin spiritual warfare by understanding who we are in Christ. That's where we begin. You begin there. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be, be strong in who you are in Christ. And he, he rehearses that in chapter 1 where he says that, that, that he's given us everything we need, every blessing we need in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless, chosen in Christ. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons in Jesus Christ to the praise of his will. Or the purpose of his will. So, so chosen, loved eternally in Christ. He says we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins through Christ. And he did this to bring everything under the parameter and the kingly rule of Christ. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2. When you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, God made you alive in Christ. So Warfare begins as we understand who we are in Christ, and we stand there and we rejoice. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his wonderful book on this issue, says this, if you, are, you and I are to wrestle triumphantly against the devil and all his powers, the first essential is the assurance of our salvation. And what he's saying is this, he says, we need to know that we are in Christ, that we are protected by Christ, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ. And if we are in Christ, no one can snatch us from the Father's hand. We must know who we are in Christ. So we get up in the morning and we rejoice in our standing in Christ. And I said last week, and I'll say again, we must remember, rehearse, and rejoice. Remember who we are in Christ. Rehearse it and rejoice. Be glad. 
If you're a Christ follower, you are in Christ. I, you know this story. It's a great story. The shepherd king David in 1 Samuel 17 goes against Goliath. The background is David had older brothers in the army of Israel. He goes to take them some supplies. And as he's there, Goliath, the almost 10-foot champion, comes out and thunders his challenge. He said, let's have a mano-e-mano battle, and the winner takes all. I'll be the champion of the Philistines. Bring me your champion. David's just a 16-year-old kid, 17 years old at the very most. And David says to the people around him, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And his brother said, David, be quiet. You're just a kid. We're the warriors. We have the armor. We have the insignia. We are the men. You're a boy. Be quiet. But every warrior was in his tent trembling. King Saul, who was also in his tent trembling, was told, finally somebody's willing to stand up to Goliath. And so he brings the little shepherd boy into his presence. And David says, you know, I fought bears and lions. I've taken care of them at night. And when they tried to attack the sheepfold, I can take care of this guy. And so they tried to put armor on him, Saul's armor. Saul was a head taller than anybody in the kingdom. The armor didn't fit. So David said, I'll, I'll just go out with my slingshot. That's what I'm used to. And this is what happens. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his side or shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, this is good. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the field, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord Jehovah saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. I get chills reading that. David didn't say, you know, I come forward. You just acknowledge this text acknowledges that I look like Brad Pitt. I come to you, a good-looking guy. I come to you, slingshot thrower of the year. I come to you from a wonderful tribe. No, he says, I come in the name of God. You've defied the armies of the living God. You've mocked the living God. You have the audacity to belittle us and to curse us by your gods who are demons. You're done. Like, wow. 
He came in the name of God. He didn't come in the name of his daddy. He didn't come in the name of his prowess. He came in the name of God. That's where you start. In Hebrews chapter 10, it just says this. It talks about the one-time sacrifice that makes us clean and whole before God, the work of the cross. And it says in verse 11, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all times a single sacrifice, once, for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Listen, you are perfected in Christ right now. Your position is you are perfect before the Lord because he sees you through the work of Jesus. Isn't that great? Then he says, a few verses later, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened to us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with the heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He says, we, we, we enter once and for all through the curtain that is his body on the cross. Our high priest died for our sins, and he cried out, it is finished. And the curtain that separated the holy of holies that was entered once a year from the rest of the temple was torn from top to bottom. It's done. The sacrificial system that pointed to Christ is done by his one act. So when we do warfare, brothers and sisters, we come in the name of Christ. And so hear me. So, so one extreme, we have the materialist and the Zorro effect. On the other end, we have the magician who, I went to a bookstore recently, got all the books on spiritual warfare and just read through parts of them. And really, most of them are not very good because they're not biblical. Is holy water this and this chant and that and walk around seven times and jump up and down and scratch your head or something? And I'm going, you know, just, just listen, stay in the book. Stay in the book. Everything you need for life and godliness is here. So when it comes to spiritual warfare, I just want to go through the scripture. And so don't dishonor Christ by doing hocus pocus magician stuff. Stay in the book. So, 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 so now the question that I'm, I want to address in some principles. Number one, the, the question is this. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Okay. Um, so demon-possessed means owned by a demon. And I, I, the answer, biblically speaking, is no. No. First um, John 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. John 10, if you're in the Father's hand, Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. So, so I, I say no, but let me wave a flag and make two responses. Uh, let me wave a flag and say, but one thing we've got to be clear on, brothers and sisters, is a doctrine of salvation. If, if you claim to be a Christ follower, you claim to have trusted Christ on the cross for your sin, and when you trusted Christ on the cross for your sin, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? 
If you claim to be a Christ follower, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because of the work of Christ on the cross for your sin, and you live in unrepentant, unremorseful, unchecked, carefree sin, it's not biblical. You need to get saved. Let me read a couple of verses. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 19 says this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. What the writer is saying here is that these people, these, these professing Christians who went out and never came back and never were remorseful over their sin. And were carefree and uncaring, were never part of us. It's a strong statement. Never part of us. I say this to people frequently, small groups, new members of class, just thought of it, that if the Lord lets me live, I will do some of your funerals. And, and I've had no, no, well, several, uh, numerous times people die and their relatives come running into me and say, you know, this person loved the gospel. They trusted Christ. I said, really? I never saw them. Oh, they did. They, they just didn't go to church. They didn't ever. I said, really? Well, we want you to say they were, they're in heaven. I said, I can't do that. I will not dishonor godly men and women who live vainly for Christ by standing up and saying something that I don't even know is true. So I'm not saying they're not with the Lord. Only God knows their heart. But let's be very honest here. They went out from us. They never came back. And by staying out and not coming back, they showed they were not of the Lord. 1 John 5, 18. Listen. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. If you're truly a believer, you don't continue in sin in an unrepentant, unremorseful, unforsaken fashion. That's what it says here. So I part, part of the problem is let's be clear on the doctrine of our salvation. Hebrews 10, verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Unrepentant, unforsaken, uncaring. Um, now, second point. But I do believe the Bible teaches that a Christ follower who leaves off the watch and who enters into certain areas can be severely demonized or influenced by dark forces. Let me show you this verse. Romans 6 is all about being dead to sin. And in verse 11, Paul writes, So you, almost, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. And do not go on or do not obey its passions. And do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So, don't you see this? I'll put it in caps. Don't you let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Don't do it, believing person. And, and do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Do not do it. 
And then Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says this, verse 26 and following, Therefore, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So I look at this passage and I go, well, I step back and I say, well, in your anger... Do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Because if you do, you give the devil a place in your life. Anger becomes bitterness, becomes rage, and it consumes you. And then he goes on, he says, and when it comes to, to labor, he says, you know, those of you who formerly were thieves, and you're now part of the church, you're part of God's called out, observable people, work, labor, so you can share with those who are in need. That's called stewardship of life. Don't live on the dole. Do something useful to share with people who are needy. It says when it comes to speech, let no putrid, corrupting talk come from your mouth. Really, the word there for putrid, it means rotten. If you've ever been part of a cleaning service for a bunch of single guys, for example, and you go to their house, you can clean their house for them as kind of a gift. And you go and you open the fridge. And there in the back is a, something that says, please buy by 3-10-1965. And it's, you, you, you take it out of the dish and it's just, it's, it's, it's putrid. That's what the, the word here is. It just overwhelms you, putrid. So if, if, you have, if you have ungodly, uncaring, uh, gossiping talk, that comes out of your mouth, you give the devil a foothold. And, and so I, I, I look at this passage and, and I say, either I am calling forth the anointing power of the Spirit in my life by honoring the Lord Christ, or if, if I am doing certain things, I give the devil a place in my life. Now, this little diagram, the, the, the right represents going forward, living as under the Lord, white. The dark represents various shades of darkness. And on a sliding scale, that's, that's the way people live, who are Christ followers. Light and darkness. And, and that's, that's it. So either I'm giving the Holy Spirit, I'm saying, come Holy Spirit, with your anointing grace, or I am allowing the devil to get a foothold. I've got to tell you that there, um, I've had this conversation with my wife and a man in the church I respect very much, but I've dealt with the last few months several situations involving people who were professing believers that I really thought were believers, and I, I don't know where they are, but they walked away. They walked away. And they've shown no repentance or regret and I just, I just say, where is the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit woos over us with jealousy. There's a dear young man, this happened five years ago, and every time I think about it, I just want to crumble. He's like a son to me, 
pastor, godly guy who challenged me and loved me. And four and a half years ago, he left his wife and children and took up with another woman. He was a pastor. And it's just, it just caused me incredible emotional pain. So one of, one of my, this is kind of, sometimes you get on a train and you start to just ride it hard. I've been riding this train in my thoughts for a long time. I, I think, you know, I say to myself, self, you're getting older. And, and I, this is one thing that astounds me. You can be as old as I am and not have great self-awareness. I've had to live with myself for 60 years. I've had no choice. This is it. And yet, I've got to tell you, I mean, in my life and other people, there's an obvious issue, and when you talk to them about it, they go, really? I'm going, really? It's like saying to a six-foot-ten center in basketball, guy, you're, you're tall. And he says, really? I've never been told that. Look, really? I need to have people who speak to me and help me think through issues. I, and I was going through this a few months ago, and I sat down with three elders that I meet with every other week, and I said, men, if you see a sin in my life or an issue and you don't confront me and speak to me about it, you will answer to God. I didn't have to give that speech to my wife. <laughs> you know, if, if the Pope ever got married, he would know he's not infallible. Just think about that. Now, in all honesty, in all honesty, thank God for a spouse that speaks truth. One of the greatest points of sanctification in your life, if you're married, is a godly spouse who speaks the truth to you. I need it. So, so, so that's it. Now, so, so how do you give the devil a foothold? Just pretty quickly. How do you give the devil a foothold? Number one, it's a failure to resist and pray for protection. A failure to resist and pray for protection. The Westminster Divines, larger catechism, says Satan, the world, and the flesh are, are ready to powerfully draw us aside and to ensnare us even after our sins have been pardoned. The, the full statement, or most of the statement, is in the sermon guide. It's a wonderful statement. It says, you know, we, we, the, Satan, the world, and the flesh are always ready to draw us aside, even, even after our salvation. So one is we, a failure to resist and pray for protection. The number two kind of goes into it is a refusal to put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor. I'm going to go through that in the next few weeks, but, you know, this is the, the living with truth, the belt of truth, and the breastplate of righteousness, understanding our salvation and living accordingly, and, and feet fitted for the gospel of peace, being a gospel-oriented person and preaching the gospel to yourself and, and, and taking the shield of faith as you trust the promises of God and you quench the fiery darts of the adversary and the helmet of the hope of salvation. We journey with great hope because heaven awaits us. And the sword of the Spirit, that's the Word of God. You take up the whole armor. There are six pieces. You take them all up. You know, say, well, I'm pretty good at four out of the six. That's not the way it works. It's you, you take up the whole armor of God. One of the greatest most horrendous lines you'll ever hear is this, quote, I've got this, close quote. No, you don't. Psalm 20, the psalmist says, some men trust in horses and some men trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so we, we understand 
that we have to put on the full armor. Number three is we refuse to elevate and put on and exalt the name of Christ. You sing about Jesus. You glory in Jesus who's the maker of everything you see. You say that everything and all the promises of the Scripture find their fulfillment in the person and work of Christ upon the cross for my sins. You talk about the glory of Christ. Romans 13, listen to this. Romans 13, verse 13 and 14 says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousies. Rather... Or put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What do you do? You put on the Lord Christ. You glory in the greatness of Christ. You sing about Christ. You you rejoice in his name. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Former slave trader who became a preacher of the gospel. Wrote a lot of hymns. One is entitled, Jesus, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. It goes like this, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds in Ah Believer's Ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fears. Amen. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fears. The name of Jesus, the glory of Messiah King. Come, Lord Christ. Revelation 12 says this. It talks about battle with the dark forces. And it says they have overcome him, the dark forces, by the word of their testimony and by the blood of the Lamb, for they love not their lives even unto death. Now that, that is spiritual victory. Three points. By the word of their testimony. Your testimony is this. I belong to you, Lord Christ. You have sealed me, Lord Christ, with the blessed Holy Spirit. There is redemption for me in your blood. There is the forgiveness of my transgressions and my sins by the cross. There is adoption as your son by faith in the finished work of Christ. I belong to you. Secondly, by the blood of the Lamb. My sins are covered. I'm protected. And they love not their lives even unto death. There's something more glorious and wonderful to live for than themselves. That is spiritual warfare. And that's what we do. Fourthly, we give the devil a place when there's willful, unrepentant, unresolved sin more about this next week, but we are repenting people because we've tasted the goodness of God. We've tasted the goodness of the Lord. And so we say, you know, the greatness of the name of Christ is what I'm going for. I, I repent. Now, this church at Ephesus, the background of the church, very quickly as we close, um, church at Ephesus, Paul goes to Ephesus, people receive the Lord. A church has started. Paul goes to the synagogue for two months, or three, excuse me, three months, Sunday after Sunday, and he preaches the gospel, or Lord's Day after Lord's Day. And, and, and some here, but most reject him. And so Paul says, I'm going to go into the streets. I'm going to go house to house. And so for the next two years, he goes out, and people respond to the gospel. And some wild things happen there, wild things. 
pieces of cloth that the apostle Paul would touch would be taken to other people and they'd be healed. Wild stuff. They'd sell demons cast out of people that were in bondage. And so there, was a, there were these seven sons of a chief leader in the temple and they saw Paul doing these miraculous things in the name of Jesus. And so they go into this house and there's this guy that's really filled with demons. And so they said, man, we're going to do something. And they said, in the name of Jesus, we command the demon to come out. And the guy that's possessed says, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who in the world are you guys? And he jumped up and he beat the fire out of them. I mean, seven guys. He said, the Bible says that they ran from the house bleeding and naked. That, that would create a stir. And then it says this, the next verse in Acts, Acts 19. Verse 17, this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And then this is what happens. This is really cool. Among many of those who were now believers, okay, these were Christians. I mean, Christians two, two and a half years or less. Many came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver, which is a fantastic sum. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So these believers, these are believers. As the Holy Spirit dealt with them, they came forward and said, you know, we've been practicing some things in our background that are dishonoring to God, and we're going to get rid of them. We have involuntarily potentially let darkness into our light, and we're going to get rid of it. And they did. I, I just I look at us, I'm going to preach on this in a few weeks, but involuntary ways we've let demons come in, and this is going to be, you're going to go, oh, come on, no, really? If you get up in the morning and you read your astrological charts, stop. 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 Read the scripture. It broke my heart years ago when my favorite president of the last, well, since Calvin Coolidge, had a wife that said, every day I consult my astrological chart. And I went, oh, great. You know, a magazine that had a two-page article on how the Ouija board was invented and how it's been mass-produced and sent everywhere. If you have Ouija boards, burn them. Burn them. You don't mess with that stuff. You don't mess with that stuff. Don't take it to goodwill. Somebody else will get it. You know? <laughs> get rid of it. I'm, I'm, you know? But you need, we need to step back and say, th these areas are areas where there's a stronghold in my life. I want to get rid of it. I don't know what yours are. I'm not clairvoyant. I mean, there's some people who have an issue with substance abuse. You know, stop it. Call some brothers over, get rid of your stuff, and pursue Jesus. 
There's, there's all types of issues. What happens when, when you get serious about this and you cleanse your life because you want to have the power of the Spirit in your life, the Word of God grows and increases and it flourishes. One of the things about our culture, quite honestly, to really shine for Christ, just show up. The moral standards are so low that if you just tell the truth, your yes is yes, your no is no, and you just, wow, you're a righteous dude. Really, just show up. Just show up in the name of Jesus. But listen, something we deal with every day is unrelenting. But if you put on the armor, after you establish who you are in Christ, I think you're good. I think you're good. C.S. Lewis, I read this recently. I thought, this is a great comment. C.S. Lewis said that when he became a Christian at age 32, he thought he was coming to, how do you put it? I thought I was coming to a, a place of, don't write it down. No, I thought I'd come to a place, but I found out that I was coming to a person. The Christian faith is a decision. It is a, it is a term, but it's really a relationship. It's all about lordship. See? We walk with a living God whose name is Jesus, who by the Holy Spirit teaches us and, and, and pushes us and prods us. And we respond. Mm. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the absolute privilege of opening the Bible. And we thank you that, um, that, that we don't come to a place primarily, but we come to a person. And we thank you, your eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we thank you that, blessed Spirit, you exalt the name of Jesus. And I pray we'd put on Jesus today and make no provision for the flesh. And I, I, I pray that we would understand with Calvin of old that we unrelenting battle. And therefore, we should bend every effort in this fight. Um, and so, Lord, we acknowledge that. And, and we plead your protection. We plead your empowerment. We pray that we'd be like the shepherding boy David who just said, I come in the name of the living God. I belong to God. I belong to Jehovah King. And Lord, we know you as revealed even better than David did, eternally Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So how much more should we stand up to the Goliaths in our life and say, no more. I'm clothed in Jesus. Deal with us, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.